Before I went into the ministry, I worked in the business sector for two different corporations. And, and in my first job, right out of college, I made a lot of spiritual mistakes. You see, I wanted to fit in. I, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to become successful. And I was worried that I might be marginalized or even ridiculed for my Christian faith. And as a result, I didn't always make good and godly decisions. I let myself get into some social situations that were inappropriate. And if an opportunity came up to say something about my faith, to say something about God, I typically would let it slide right by. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but but to a great extent, my life in the workplace was lived as if my faith was more of an embarrassment than an asset. And I know that my experience isn't unique. And I know that some of you at times have reacted as I did in public settings or in the workplace. You try to keep your Christian identity under wraps. I'm sure there have been times when you've been very hesitant about sharing with someone else the life-changing message of Jesus. It's a common temptation that we can fall into. And I think we live in an age where we need to be very careful and not fall into that trap. And I believe that we can learn a lot from the very first Christians, those believers who formed the early church because their faith often was under attack. They lived with the recognition that their faith would consistently be under assault. And what strikes me is that when they faced that challenge, they did not respond with embarrassment. They did not respond with shame. Instead, they prayed for boldness. And I believe we need to pray for boldness. We need to pray for boldness so we can represent Jesus wisely and we can represent him well in our culture today. And here's what I believe based on this passage of scripture that we're going to look at in a moment. I believe that when we pray for boldness in our faith, it's a prayer that God loves to answer and he will. And he will change us and he will equip us so that we can tell others about Jesus. I'd like us to see what we can learn today from the first century church, the first Christians. They offer a marvelous prayer to God, a prayer of boldness. It's recorded for us in the book of Acts chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 23, which is before the prayer, because it sets the stage for everything that follows. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And that little phrase, on their release, tells us that there's quite a story that came before. And in fact, this comment comes on the heels of the first major public controversy involving this brand new community of faith called the Church of Jesus Christ. And to understand the prayer that comes next that we're going to look at in a moment, we first must understand what came before. And what came for, what came before is that we see the Holy Spirit at work in a powerful way. Here's what happened. The, the religious authorities, the Jewish religious authorities, and the Roman civil authorities, they had executed Jesus and each of them for their own reasons. And they assumed that this would silence any supporters of Jesus. 
And this little band of Christians, they know that the authorities are watching them. They know that the authorities might come after them next, but they don't give up. They continue to trust in Jesus because they have seen him resurrected and because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit promised by Jesus. The Spirit who comes to be their helper, their advocate, their comforter. The Spirit who equips them to share the message of Jesus with people who are far from God. And so that Christian community doesn't dissipate. They stick together. They continue to meet for fellowship and for prayer. They come together to read and discuss the Bible. And the temple was the center of Jewish religious life. And they would continue to go to the temple to worship, but now they go as believers in Jesus, the Messiah. And on one incredible day, two of the original disciples, Peter and John, go into the temple to pray. And by one of the temple gates, they encounter a lame man who is begging for money. Peter responds not by giving the man money, which he asked for, but instead he heals him in the name of Jesus. And as this man who has been lame for years gets up and walks, people are astonished. A crowd gathers. And so Peter takes the opportunity to preach about Jesus. And thousands, thousands of people respond. This creates a huge uproar. And all of a sudden, the Jewish authorities are in an uproar. What's going on? What's this about Jesus? We thought we got rid of that guy. And now here's people proclaiming, doing miracles in his name and, and they're telling people that he's the Messiah and they're preaching about him. This is a huge threat to the status quo. And the Jewish council wants to shut it down fast. And so they arrest Peter and John. Think about that. They arrest these two men simply for telling about Jesus and healing a man. Peter and John are dragged before the council. And we need to understand that it's only been three or maybe four months since Jesus was crucified. The memory of that event is very fresh. It would be logical for Peter and John to fear the worst and to be wondering, are we going to be the next to die? No. Not going to happen. This outcome is going to be different because God has a different plan for them. And we're told that Peter is filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit gives him boldness and the Spirit gives him the right words to say. The Jewish council members are astonished by what they hear from Peter. They can't deny the fact that there's this lame man who's been healed and the people all are praising God. So the authorities let them go. It's a miracle. It's a miraculous release, and it's been driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John immediately go out, and they, they go to where the believers are gathered, and they tell them their story. And I try to imagine myself as being one of those members of the early church. We listen to Peter and John recount the story of this incredible release and I think I'd feel this adrenaline rush as they talk, and I'd be saying things to myself like, oh my goodness, the council let them go. Our friends weren't killed, they're still alive. Wow! And how do the believers respond to this incredible news? The first thing they do 
is they pray. They don't throw a party. They don't go out and dance and celebrate in the streets. They pray to the God who through His Spirit has brought about this incredible event. And then I find myself asking, okay, if I was there, how would I pray? What would I say to God? I have to tell you, my natural inclination would be to pray something like this. Oh God, thank you so much for letting our friends go. Thank you for sparing their lives. Now please protect us so that nothing like this will ever happen again. I'd be praying for safety. But that's not how the first Christians pray. As we're going to look at this prayer recorded for us in verses 24 to 30, we're going to see that in this spirit-inspired prayer, they pray for boldness. When they heard this, that's the story from Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And now as part of their prayer, they quote scripture. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and protect us and keep us safe. Nope. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a prayer. Now, as we read this prayer, we need to understand that Scripture sometimes gives us a summary of actual events, and I think it's likely that the words written here are not the whole prayer, but they capture the essence of what the people were saying as they lifted their voices together and prayed to God. And one of the things we see here, and we've seen it before in this series of messages, is is that when men and women of faith pray, and, and these prayers are recorded for us here in Scripture, when they pray, they often are quoting other parts of Scripture. So we have, a, we have a Bible prayer here that's quoting another prayer that's in another part of the Bible. And, and what we're reminded of is this. We have the freedom to pray spontaneously, and we should. And yet at the same time, there's a richness, a richness that comes from praying words that were inspired by the Spirit and written down for us in the Bible. They help us and equip us to pray. And so the first Christians here quote part of King David's prayer from Psalm 2. And they acknowledge the power of God over people and rulers and nations, which means that if anyone plots against God, they plot in vain. And then in verses 27 and 28, they apply this principle to Jesus. Because the Roman and Jewish authorities conspired against Jesus. And when he went to the cross, they thought they had won, but the joke was on them. They were just doing what God had planned. They were fulfilling God's purpose. And as I read this prayer, here's the part that I find so compelling. These first Christians asked God to consider the threats of their enemies 
but they don't pray for the threats to stop. They're not asking for trouble. They just know that opposition will come. They know that their proclamation of Jesus is going to stir people up. The Jewish religious leaders are invested in the status quo and they don't want to hear about Jesus. The Roman civil authorities don't care what people believe. They just want an orderly society without any unrest and they don't want the Jews fighting with each other over Jesus. So the believers know that their very existence as a community of faith is problematic for everyone. And in response, they pray. And yet, they don't pray as if they are a community on the defensive. They pray as people who believe that the God of heaven and earth is at work in them and through them. And so they pray for boldness. I am so moved by this prayer, and I believe we need to take it to heart. Because as our culture continues to change, Christianity is increasingly ridiculed and marginalized in the public square, and I don't think that's going to stop in the near future. And it certainly is not going to stop because of anything that happens politically. It's not going to stop because we happen to get laws changed that we don't like. Our culture will change only as more and more people become followers of Jesus Christ. That's what transforms. And so I believe we need to follow the example of the early church and pray for boldness. Boldness to live by faith so people will see Jesus in us. Boldness to embrace the radical values of the kingdom of God rather than the values of the culture. Boldness to tell people about Jesus. Praying to be bold for Jesus and bold about Jesus, but not obnoxious for Jesus. That's something different. You see, being bold doesn't mean we rudely confront people. It doesn't mean we beat people over the head with the Bible. It means we listen to the Spirit and we speak what He prompts us to say. We speak out of the Spirit's leading. We don't let our conversations be driven by our own fears or anger or pride. And as I ponder this prayer and as the result, at the results of this prayer, I am absolutely convinced that when the people of God pray for boldness, that God will give us the words to say. There Peter stood before the Jewish council, everyone against him, and the Holy Spirit spoke through him and gave him the words to say. And he was released. And the Spirit is still alive and at work in this world. And he still speaks through God's people today. A few years ago, a church in California bought some property to build a new place of worship. And that property was on prime real estate in the heart of the community. And the city council didn't like that because churches are exempt from property taxes. And the council wanted that property to go to a developer so then the city would be able to generate tax revenue. And so the council engaged in some pretty shady tactics. They worked behind the scenes to change the zoning laws and they set up kind of a sketchy deal with the developer. And then they engineered this rather dubious land swap so that the church would still have some property but it would be in a much less accessible, much less desirable part of town. 
And they had to approve this at a final public meeting, and they rammed it through despite protests. And immediately after the vote, the pastor did two things. He quietly prayed for the Holy Spirit to give him wisdom and to give him boldness. And then he said to the city council, can I make a final comment? And they reluctantly gave him permission to speak. And he stood up, and when he related this story to me, he told me, Bruce, as I stood up, I had no idea what I was going to say. I just started talking. <laughs> and by God's grace, the Holy Spirit helped me say exactly what needed to be said. So he didn't blast the city council. He didn't criticize them for the shaky way they put this deal together. Instead, he thanked them. He went down the row, and counselor by counselor, he simply affirmed them. He said, thank you for choosing a life of public service. Thank you for investing your time and effort on behalf of our community. Thank you for being willing to make hard decisions, and sometimes in the face of stiff opposition. And he just went on like that. He spoke affirmingly and thankfully for about five minutes, and then he sat down. The council chamber was dead quiet. And after this pregnant pause, the council members started to look at each other rather sheepishly. And they got up from their seats and they kind of went over and had a little huddle for a minute, talked privately. They came back and resumed their seats and they immediately rescinded their vote. And they pledged to work with the church for a more proper equitable outcome. 30 days later, the church did not get the property they bought. They got a better parcel in a more prominent, accessible location in town. And a few years later, two members of that city council were baptized believers attending that church because of the work of the Holy Spirit in that meeting and subsequently in their lives. When we pray for boldness and we listen to the Spirit, He'll give us the right words to say. And in this case, they weren't words of criticism. It didn't need to be harsh. It was words of thankfulness and affirmation. And that's what brought conviction on the hearts of those who heard those words. We'll speak wisely in difficult situations if we listen to the Spirit and pray for boldness. You know, as I think about this issue of, of boldness, I just, I, I'm so struck by the anger that's in our culture today and all the bitterness and the acrimony. And there are so many, so many Christians in this world on the political right and on the political left who become very bold about telling people their political views. And so often I say to myself, Lord, I wish we were as bold to tell people about Jesus. that we would be bold to build meaningful friendships with people who are far from God, that we would be bold about praying for those people, that we would be bold in asking God to give us opportunities to help them see that Jesus is the only one who can set them free and give them peace. And God has given us these Spirit-inspired prayers like this one in the Bible 
to teach us how to pray. And just as the first Christians so often took prayers from Scripture and made them their own, they incorporated them into their own prayers, we can do the same. And I want to give an example of how we can do that with this marvelous prayer for boldness. We can take a prayer like this and perhaps pray it this way. Heavenly Father, we know that back in the first century, Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Israelites conspired to execute Jesus, who was your chosen servant. And Lord, we know that they only were doing what you had determined beforehand should happen. We're so thankful that your plan and purpose was fulfilled through Jesus. And Lord, we know that just as you... you Uh, that there were threats against them in the first century from Herod and Pilate and others. We know that at times there are threats against us. We know that at times we'll be ridiculed or embarrassed, that people try to marginalize us because we're men and women of faith. And our response, Father, is to say, give us boldness. Give us boldness to proclaim your word so that people will hear about Jesus. And Father, back in the first century, you worked through those first Christians and you did incredible miracles to show people that you are alive and well and at work in your world. And we pray, God, that in our day, you would do things that only you can do to show this world that you are real and that you care about men and women and you want to lead them into relationship with you and in your kingdom. Lord, give us boldness. Now, you might not pray that same way, (laughs) but that's the idea, a spirit-inspired prayer, and we can take that and use that as a model to offer our own prayers. And I have just been struck time and time again as I have prayed over this text and thought about this message, and this prayer has gripped my heart this week. And I really want us as a church to embrace this prayer. And I encourage you to take it and make it your own. Pray it in your home regularly. Pray it together in your adult Bible fellowships and in your life groups. Pray it often because it's a prayer that can transform us. And as we are transformed, we can transform the world around us. And we see that as we see how God answered this prayer for our spiritual ancestors. Let's take a look at the final verse, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They finished praying and the room starts to shake. Now in Southern California where I used to live, we just think it's an earthquake. But the first Christians, they know the Bible and they know that there is spiritual significance in this physical phenomena. They know that when Moses stood on the mountain of God that the entire mountain shook. They know that when Isaiah had his vision of heaven that the throne room of God shook and trembled every time God spoke. So they know that this shaking is a tangible sign that God is there and that he's listening to their prayers. And most importantly, because they pray for boldness, they're transformed. Everyone in that room is filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped to speak his word with boldness in their daily lives. So who are the people who offer this incredible prayer? We're not told. But we know from other parts of the Bible 
We know a number of the people who formed the core of the early church, and so we can make some educated guesses. It's likely that in this group are the 11 remaining original disciples, along with Matthias, who replaced Judas the betrayer. And there usually were women present in this group. Women like Mary Magdalene. Perhaps Joanna and Salome and some of the others who encountered the risen Jesus on Easter Sunday. We, we don't know the names, but we know that this prayer is offered by a group of men and women who love Jesus and want to follow him faithfully. And they are the heart of this new community of faith called the church. They're the first Christians. They stand alone because the government is against them. The religious authorities are against them. And they do not retreat. Instead, they show us how to pray with boldness. And God loves it when his people pray this way. He answered that prayer in such a powerful way for the first Christians, and the world was never the same. In the next 30 years, think about that, less than one generation, they transformed the culture of scores of communities as they connected thousands of people to Jesus. Some of this was accomplished through leaders like like Peter and later Paul, but, but much of it was accomplished through ordinary believers who simply looked for opportunities to tell people about Jesus as they went about their daily lives. So I find myself wondering, what would it look like if you and I more consistently prayed for boldness? How might God work through you? How might God work through me? to make a difference in the lives of people we know if we consistently prayed this kind of prayer. I started out by telling you about my spiritual experience at the first company where I worked. And I made little spiritual impact because I kept my faith hidden. My second job, though, before I went into the ministry, things were very different. And they were different because I prayed. I prayed for boldness. I prayed for God to help me represent Jesus wisely and well. And so I invested a lot of time in building relationships with my coworkers. And when I would be with them over lunch or perhaps at a social event outside the office on the weekends, I would pray for opportunities to say something about my faith. It didn't always happen. But because I was praying, I was looking. And then I could see opportunities when they emerged. You see, when we pray and live with expectation, we're less likely to miss things. We see those moments when God asks us to say a bold word. And as a result, I was able to plant spiritual seeds into the lives of numerous people who were far from God. Some of those seeds took years to germinate, but many of them did. And once I had the privilege of baptizing a coworker after he decided to become a follower of Jesus. And the difference between company one and company two was prayer. And the changes that prayer made in me. And I learned from that that I always must pray for boldness because it's so easy at times to want to take a step back and to be timid. 
And I continue to pray for boldness. I pray for boldness in my relationships with people that we know over at Bertha Holt Elementary School down the street. We have such a wonderful relationship with faculty and staff there because of our KidMax program. And I pray that through His Spirit, God would help me to be wise about how and where and when I can say something about my faith. Something that would touch a life and draw a person a step closer to Jesus. I pray for boldness in my relationships with community leaders in Springfield. I'm part of a group of people that that are working on keeping families together and keeping kids out of foster care. And I say, Lord, help me to listen to your spirit and to be bold. Show me how and where and when I can say the right word at the right time that will catch that person's attention so that your Holy Spirit can do his work in their life. And perhaps you need to pray for more boldness. Maybe it's at your place of employment. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in a social organization, a club, community group that you're a part of. Maybe for some of you it's in your family. Our mission as a church is summarized in this statement. To know him, to love him, to share him. And sometimes it takes boldness to share him. And when we pray for boldness, God's going to answer. And he's going to give you and me ever more opportunities to share our faith. So I want us to embrace this prayer. And I am praying that God would send a fresh wave through our church so that we, in our generation, can have the same kind of impact that the first Christians did. I'm praying that God would help us to speak about Jesus with boldness and to make a difference in the lives of the people that God sends into your path and my path. Let's pray. Pray for boldness.